Welcome to the Formed in the Word podcast, a production of the Augustan Institute. Your hosts, Dr. Jim Prothro and Dr. Israel McGrew, will review the lectionary readings for this Sunday's Mass, explain their context, and help you to appreciate the Church's wisdom in selecting them. Welcome to Formed in the Word. I'm Israel McGrew. I'm James Prothrow. James Prothrow. And we are professors of sacred scripture at the Augustine Institute. Today we'll be looking at the lectionary readings for the third week of Lent. And we'll explain each reading in turn, their context, and some of their main points in order to draw out the continuity between these readings. Uh, in her wisdom, the church has put the lectionary together for us um, to lead us into the mystery of Christ with all of these readings uh, and, and sets a, a sort of feast of different courses of the word uh, in front of us. And so uh, we'll be able to see through reading all of them and all of them together how Christ fulfills uh, not just the Old Testament scriptures, but really um, uh, fulfills humanity, the human problem, and brings us to redemption and perfection uh, uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we hope that this will be a valuable resource for you as you can um, look at the readings in the week before Mass and spend some time with them in prayer in order to prepare yourself to um, enter the Mass more deeply on Sunday. And we especially hope this will be useful for priests as they um, are also preparing to enter the Mass more deeply and in order to feed their congregations on the Word. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, Jim, you want to start with prayer? Absolutely. Well, let's start off. I'm going to say a prayer, uh, pray with a prayer uh, that I've used at different points here. Uh, it's attributed to Origen from long ago. Uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, inspire us to read your scriptures and to meditate upon them day and night. We beg you to give us real understanding of what we need, that we in turn may put its precepts into practice. Yet we know that understanding and good intentions are worthless unless rooted in your graceful love. So we ask that the words of the scriptures may also be not just signs on a page, but channels of grace into our hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for that, Jim. All right. So this week's first reading is from Exodus chapter 17, uh, verses 3 through 7. And this is the um, strife, the testing, the waters of Meribah or Massah and Meribah. Um, and so this is, again, Exodus chapter 17. And in context, right, we had the Exodus and the dividing of the Red Sea in chapter 14, the Song of the Sea in 15. And right after the Song of the Sea, they have their first water episode um, where there's bitter water. And Moses throws a chunk of wood in the water, as God tells him to, and it changes the water to sweet. And then in chapter 16, people are complaining because they're hungry. And so God sends quail and manna. And so after watching, you know, the 10 plagues and other miracles besides those, um, <clears throat> after the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness. And understandably, they're concerned because there's no water. Um, but on the other hand, they have seen God's ability to provide, right, not only to do these, perform these plagues, these um, signs of himself as the, the real deity who engages in history, um, but also to feed them and water them in the wilderness. And, you know, this is a real need, right? They're, they got a drink and they're in the wilderness with no water. And Moses is leading them deeper into the wilderness. So you'd understand why they're kind of... Um, concerned and maybe even displeased with Moses' leadership. But their first reaction is to complain. At least that's the way mm -hmm. the story is told. Um, and it's, of course, God knows what we need. Right? God made us as animals who need to eat and drink. Um, and so you can take those requests to God. But this story teaches us 
you should do it with you know by simply voicing your request, maybe instead of uh, starting off with complaints and um, threatening to stone Moses. Right? Mm. Uh, it doesn't need to escalate that fast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you might call that overkill or some sort of overreaction. You could. You could. Oh, one, yeah. one might, especially if your name is Jim. I would. Yeah. Anyhow, um, this is a. Uh, Paul uses this image, right? So whereas in the first episode, we have bitter water that Moses makes sweet by throwing some wood into it. This time, God says, there's a rock. You go smack the rock, and now the rock will come water. And Paul uses this image in reference to Christ, right? Uh, Christ who gets smitten in the side, and out of whose side comes um, blood and water in the Gospel of John. And... And the Holy Spirit, even in some uh, in some textual manuscripts, um, and so this is an, an image of um, God giving His own life from His side. And Deuteronomy, in fact, will refer to God as our rock, and this is, of mm-hmm. course, in the Psalms as well. And so, calling God the rock is you know established within Hebrew Scripture, and so it fits really well what Paul winds up doing with this story. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, God uh, giving us his own life um, and sharing that with us, of course, through water and the Holy Spirit so we can think of baptism. Um, uh, and the utter gift and grace that that is. And then at the same time, uh, to look at this in any time, but especially in the season of Lent, and to think to ourselves, how does this kind of give an image of my own life with God. Um, and one of the things I think about when I read these grumbling episodes in Exodus and then elsewhere, um, I think a little bit like uh, maybe an exaggerated version or not too exaggerated, actually, if I'm honest, of like what happens with me and my children on a road trip. Because <laughs> um, it, it's really, really big for me in, in Exodus 15 in the first water episode. Right? Um, uh, stay tuned for our next episode. Um the first water episode, they complain that there's bitter water, right? It's a real need. It's not like mm-hmm. like asking for water is a problem. But they complain about it. They're like, oh, did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness, right? There's a, there's a miracle. The water becomes uh, fresh. And then they keep walking uh, and following Moses, and they show up at a place with 12 springs of water. And it makes me think a little bit of like me driving the car and the kids in the back shouting out, I'm hungry, I'm dying, you didn't bring me a snack. Me going, we're going to lunch, it's five minutes from here. Grandma is not that far, the food is already made. I'm hungry, right? Um, now that, that's, that's kind of funny, right? Um, but it's one way of thinking about our life with God because the, the other way that we think about it is how we experience it, which is, I don't know where he's going, and I know he has helped me, or I know he loves me, but I have to remind myself of that because right now it feels like I'm sort of left out to dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might go through periods of your life like that. Um, but in uh, uh, these these stories in Exodus, and then here with the rotter from the rock once more, right? They they not only uh, it, it escalates, right? Overkill. They not not only do they like complain about it, but they even think about like undoing Moses. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, later on, they'll think about reversing the redemption and going back to Egypt. Um, and uh, uh, it's a, a call for us to be faithful and to remember that God provides what we need. 
God sharing his own life by the Holy Spirit. I'll say one more. I can see he's trying to get in. <laughs> he's trying to get in, but I'm going to keep him out for a second. Um, <laughs> but in, in Luke 11, um, right, we're, we're always thinking about what do we need? What do I need now? What do I need now? What do I need now? And in Luke 11, he gives the uh, parable of saying like, you know, prayer is like this. You Somebody going over to his neighbor's house in the middle of the night, banging on the door and saying, hey, I need something so I can host this guest who showed up. Um, uh, keep keep banging on the door, right? And he says, God the Father will grant the Holy Spirit to those who ask of it. It's not a parable about if you keep bugging God, he'll give you that Lamborghini. Unless maybe, you know, like a Lamborghini is like in God's plan for your service to the kingdom. So I you can't can sell it. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. to sell it for alms, of course. Yeah, I can't imagine how many scenarios there I'll are. I'll just drive it like for a year, guys. It would be fine. <laughs> right. Yes, it's just to drive to drive grandma to church on Sunday. You know, you got to, you know. She likes to roll in stuff. Grandma's style. a classy lady. Yeah, she's a classy lady. Um, uh, uh, but anyway, but but the, uh, the by the time you get to the end of the, the parable there, right, Jesus says the thing that he'll give you when you ask for it, the life that we need from him that he pours forth on the church uh, and with water is the life of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, that's where these readings are driving, right? We'll find that uh, we could spend the entire time on John 4. Um, but <laughs> Psalm 95 um, actually launches us in that direction. So the psalm is Psalm 95, and the verses are 1 through 2 and 6 through 9. Um, I don't really know why they gave us so few of the verses. It's about 11 verses long. Yep, 11 verses long. And this is the psalm that <clears throat> most, well, it's the, Psalm that you usually use to open the liturgical day. Mm -hmm. This is the invidiatory. You can swap out other psalms too, but this is kind of the standard. And you can see why it's the standard. Um, we were talking about how Exodus 17 is a great model for thinking about the spiritual life, um, both in terms of trusting God to satisfy your physical needs, um, how to ask God for things, right? You can ask, you, don't, you shouldn't whine and you sh certainly shouldn't threaten. Um, or strive with God or test him, um, but also how it applies to the spiritual life. And so Psalm 95 makes this dynamic explicit. Right? Psalm 95 identifies this moment within Israel's history as a good moral lesson, a warning for us. Right? Um, in uh, verse 8, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. Right? So calling this very episode um, to mind. And it says, don't be like that generation. Mm -hmm. And uh, verse 11, or so verse 10, 40 years I loathe that generation. There are people who don't know my ways. I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And that's the end of the psalm, right? So it's kind of a, it's a stiff warning, this psalm. And it again recalls uh, numbers where they're wandering the wilderness for 40 years because they continued to balk at God's providence, mm -hmm. right? Brings them out of Egypt, feeds them in the wilderness, um, helps them overcome um, people who attack them in the wilderness, and yet they still continue to doubt him. And so God says, all right, this generation is going to die in the wilderness, and then I will let the next generation into the promised land, mm -hmm. into God's rest. And so the Old Testament, right, before Christ, is already um, thinking about the spiritual lessons that we, this generation, can learn from that generation. And the epistle to the Hebrews um, takes this up another notch, right? Because now Christ has come and the Holy Spirit has been given such that, um, you know, here we are in the church on our pilgrim way, you know, kind of 
wandering, right? We're uh, that now, not yet. We've crossed the Jordan in the sense that we've been baptized mm -hmm. and we um, have communion with the Trinity, but we're also not in heaven. We're not mm -hmm. to the beatific vision. And so we have not entered fully into God's rest. Right? You think of Genesis 7, creation is culminating in God's rest because God is a, a triune, a triune, a triad, a trinity of persons, a mutual communion of love in whom one can rest. Um, and we are invited to participate in that, right? This is the meaning of creation. And so the generation entering into Canaan is itself a sign of the destiny of humanity. Mm -hmm. And what through incarnation, through the coming of the Son, through the giving of the Holy Spirit, uh, we are all being drawn into, right? Uh, eating, you know, consuming the Eucharist, our manna, off, bread for the way of Vatican, right? Um, <clears throat> in order to enter fully into that rest. So. Yeah, that's right. This um, uh, it, it it can be easy to miss, and and so it's worth just reiterating um, uh, the repetition that uh, this theme gets throughout the Bible. Psalm 95 isn't the only one. There's lots of other psalms that are encouraging Israel in later years, right? Walk with God and stay faithful to him. How should you think about it? Think about what happened when they came out of Egypt. God redeemed them by his utter mercy and love and grace. And But then they got to keep walking with him, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, God has redeemed this people, but individually your relationship right, with God uh, has to do with your relationship with God, right? How how you respond to to Him. If you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. If you hear your uh, uh, right, the church's spouse, uh, the Lord Jesus talking to you, don't go. Ah, get out of here. I'm done. Right? I don't want to listen to you today. Right? If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Um, Hebrews points back to this. The epistle of Jude points back to this. And 1 Corinthians 10 points back to this. He says, they all, it was like a baptism into Moses when they came through water and were redeemed from slavery like we are. They had spiritual food and drink, right? They had bread from heaven, not of the same kind, right? But but typologically the same, uh, typologically similar, right? Um, uh, and he says, but Right? The ones who went away to idolatry and didn't stick with God, they didn't make it to the promised land. Right, So our way, our journey, this is sort of baked into the way that Scripture wants us to think about um, our journey. And we can think about it in a, a more kind of theological key with redemption when we get to our Romans mm -hmm. passage. Yeah, and thanks for bringing that up. Um, one of the reasons perhaps why this story um, – has so much cash throughout uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, is this is Israel's origin story, right? This mm -hmm. is the origin of Israel as a people, right? So we had the patriarchs and you know the beginning of this these kind of tribes, um, but now this is like a nation, mm -hmm. and this is how they understand themselves, and this is. Also, the Torah, right? The first five books of the Bible are the Torah, and it's kind of the foundation of everything that follows. And so it makes sense that later prophets and later Psalms would look back, especially to the origin of Israel, to understand the meaning of Israel, and ultimately the meaning of history. Mm -hmm. Psalm 78 is another example mm -hmm. where they take mm -hmm. us through. Um, and it starts with, um, I'm going to tell you a mashal, right? I'm going to tell you a paradigm, a way of thinking about history and of thinking about humanity's relationship to God. And it's uh, kind of an exposition 
of the Exodus. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. It's a his origin story is is a really good way to say it, and maybe also like um, the foundation. Like this, so it's about identity, right? This is who right. we are. It's where it's where we came from. It's 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 who we continue to be, and and how we be who we are, right? Is walking with God mm-hmm. in this way. I'm thinking about like a third generation American family. Mm-hmm. They still have that living memory of their parents coming over, and that um, kind of sets the parameters for their understanding of their American experience and mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. family and who they are. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, we're going to hop on now for our New Testament readings uh, and move forward in Scripture. Um, we're going to go to Romans 5. So uh, this week the readings from Romans 5. Again, this, the verses are broken up. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2 and then verses 5 through 8. Um, there's a lot of great stuff everywhere in Romans 5. Um, and actually last week, uh, 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 week previously, we did Romans five twelve and following uh, with the new Adam typology. This is actually what comes right before it mm-hmm. in Romans five, even though doing later in the season of Lent for the readings. Um, and fortunately, um, so it's not explicit in Romans five one through eight, but by putting Exodus and Psalm ninety five next to Romans um, five one and two and five through eight here. Uh, we have another neat typology that we'll mm. get into. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it, Romans 5 comes at a point that there's, there's, a, there's a lot of ties into what's come before it in Romans. Um, so all that Paul has talked about with uh, the problem of presumption and boasting, um, and boasting especially in, in, in the wrong things, right? Boasting over against somebody else, right? I'm, right, uh, sort of philosophical, moral Gentile and all of these dumb pagans or these silly Jews who are in the church. Oh, or on the other hand, right, I'm right Jewish. I have all the promises. I have the heritage. And you guys are kind of second class here. I, I have a reason to boast over you in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Paul will, uh, Paul has cut everybody down right, together and put everybody under sin. To say. It's the first three chapters of Romans. That's right. Your first three you chapters sinned, of Romans. You sinned, you sinned, y'all sinned. You sinned, you think you didn't sin? You did, right? Uh, <laughs> you are all, right, united together. All people groups are united together in the problem of sin, right? It may take different expressions, but everybody's united in that. Um, and, of course, in Romans 5, 12 to 14, right, we'll get uh, heavy verses for the doctrine of original sin. Um, but the, the the point is the same throughout. Um, but then he's proclaimed, right, that, as everybody is under sin together, right, then the solution for everybody, right, to their sin is also the same, right? It's receiving God's grace through the Holy Spirit and receiving it through faith in Christ, right? Um, And that faith in Christ will continue to be uh, lived out, of course, in your actual behavior. And just like the uh, Israelites in the wilderness, if you say, I trust you, God, but you don't trust God enough to actually do what he says and think that he'll, right, uh, come through on his promises, how... How good of a trust is that? Um, but the uh, uh, Romans 5 changes keys a little bit because we're not thinking about walking in a wilderness. And yet at the same time, we have uh, 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 similar accents that are struck. Um, looking at Romans 5, uh, 1, and then verses um, uh, 5 through 8 here, the heavy emphasis on um, undeserved grace and redemption, mm-hmm. right? Um, and God says this to Israel 
after they've come out and they're about to go into the promised land uh, in Deuteronomy. He says, it's not because you were more righteous than the other nations that I picked you. It's not because you were sort of stronger and I was going to have an easier time with you than with other nations that I picked you, right? I chose you out of my love and because of the promises that I've made. And God's the same way uh, for us with grace, right? That Christ is sent into the world while we were sinners, right? The Holy Spirit comes to prompt us to move us to desire baptism or to move our parents to have us baptized while we haven't done anything to deserve it other than his own love for us, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's his love for us that makes us lovely, uh, as Augustine and Therese and so many others have said. Um, God right, shows, verse 8, if you're a Bible highlighter, if this, this one ought to be highlighted. Um, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right, while we were weak. Right? And his death right, brings us the gift through the Holy Spirit of being joined to him, to his righteousness and being justified. And that brings about peace with God. Now, here's where the, the pattern comes in. Um, so if you look at Romans 5.1, if you have the RSV, ESV, NAB, uh, New Jerusalem, says, we have peace with God or we are at peace with God. And I think that's the right translation. If you have the Dewey Rames or if you look at the note in any of those other major Bibles, there'd be a little note that says there's another reading from ancient manuscripts that could be, let's be at peace with God. Right? Let us say, let's live reconciled at friendship with God. Um, uh, so the two words here, one of them is echomen. We have peace. The other one is echomen. Let us have peace. <laughs> uh, they're pronounced basically the same. Uh, and so scribes would get mixed up when they were mm -hmm. copying. And um, it's the kind of thing like the difference between lead and red or read and red, right? Where you just sort of, have, you, you, you get it. And you might ask a clarifying question if it's not clear. Here it's sort of beautifully uh, uh, a both and. He seems to be making the point that since we're justified in Christ, Right? Because we're justified in Christ, we have peace with God. We have access to him. Right? We're friends. We've been reconciled to him. Uh, that seems to be the main point, and that's why your main Bible translations uh, go this way. But the backside of that is right. he has made us his friends. So live that way mm -hmm. and don't act like his enemy again, like we did in sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul actually says, oh, are you going to say that? <laughs> no, I was going to say, thankfully, uh, this both are true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't come down to how we understand well, this O. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, yeah it, doesn't come, it doesn't come down to the text, right, whether the thing is true. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, I'm begging you, be reconciled to God. Um, yeah. Right. So we have been reconciled through Christ. So it has been done for you. Yeah, it has been done for you, but you also have to cooperate in that being done in you. Exactly, yeah. It's mm -hmm. co -op, co -op, his grace comes first and we cooperate with it and we live in the new relationship that he's made. Mm -hmm. And this is a kind of theological way of saying, I think, something really similar to what we've seen in our readings so far, right? Uh, that God has redeemed his people and is bringing you by his own grace and love to the wonderful promised land. So keep walking toward the promised land. <laughs> Stop whining all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? He's, he loves you so much. Stop complaining all the time. You can ask questions. You want to ask him for water? Good, right? That's a good thing. But don't try to kill Moses. Come on. Understanding that uh, one of these omitted verses, um, 
we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. Right? Mm-hmm. And you can you can see that as the lesson that they had to learn potentially mm-hmm. in the Exodus, right? Um, yeah, there was water and it was bitter, but then I made it okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're hungry. Do you believe me? I can make it okay. Okay, you don't believe me. Here, I made it okay. Oh, you're thirsty? Do you trust me yet? Do you, yeah. Um, you've had some sufferings, um, and it yeah. could have produced some endurance and some character and some hope, and, mm-hmm. uh, but it hasn't. That's, right? That's the problem is the refusal to grow. Um, mm-hmm. Lest we think we're cut of a different cloth mm-hmm. than these people in Exodus, though, um, this is why uh, Dr. Prothro encouraged you to underline uh, verse 8, and you could say verses uh, verse 6 as well, right? While we were still weak. Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve that any more than Israel deserved to be brought out of Egypt. Well, actually, Israel probably deserved to be brought out of Egypt more because (laughs) slavery is not fair for anybody. Um, But it's not that we were morally superior to them in the wilderness, and therefore God did this for us. Um, Either in sending Christ to die on the cross or in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's really, I think, the crucial difference, mm-hmm. um, what Romans 5, 5 gives us, right? Uh, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Um, and so whereas you know, in Exodus, they have the water pouring forth from the side of the rock, mm-hmm. now we have the Holy Spirit, which is being poured into us mm-hmm. right? because mm-hmm. this is how God is giving us mm-hmm. his life. And this is what can make us maybe stop complaining all the time and rejoice in our sufferings and keep walking uh, until enter right. into God's rest. That's right. And it, uh, if you follow, um, uh, certainly if you have the ESVCE, you'll see this, but uh, uh, if you follow the notes, it's not even just rejoice here. They translate it rejoice, but the word he uses is actually boast. It's the same word from mm-hmm. before. So there's a bad kind of boasting in stuff that I have on my own. Right? And then there's the good kind of boasting in what God has done and his love. Um, but the connection to water and the gift of the Holy Spirit in which we boast brings us wonderfully to the gospel reading from John 4. Um, that's, it's a long reading. Uh, and it might be worth, I can say, as a guy who sits in the pew and has kids, um, uh, it might be worth like retelling the story a little bit. Um, both because, uh, especially if you're teaching this, both because people will, will tune it out uh, a little bit during the, the reading, but also because there's so much to notice. John's gospel loves to give us conversations between people and Jesus where they are they moved or called from no faith or a little faith to greater faith. And the next question becomes, uh, how will they respond? When they hear his voice, will they harden their hearts? Or will they be open and start to say yes and mm-hmm. listen? Um, and this is what happens with the woman at the well, right? He first meets her there um, uh, at the well. The disciples go away. Um, and he speaks to her and he says, give me a drink. And she says, what are you asking me for? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. You, we're not supposed to hang out together. Especially if you think of uh, well scenes as marital typology scenes. That's right. right? This is where um, <clears throat> Jacob meets. Excuse me. Where Jacob meets Rachel. Where um, Rebecca is met on Isaac's behalf. Where Moses meets Zipporah. Right. This is 
It's like kind of going to a bar. It's just where you go yeah, and meet, that's right. meet Down by the watering ladies. hole, <laughs> meet your lady at the watering hole, uh, get a man at the watering hole. But so, uh, so yes, if there's a kind of marriage thing here, um, which many people will uh, will point out, right? Her response of faith is like the church's response as the bride of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, which is really beautiful. But if you follow through the story, right? At first, she's like, whoa. A Jewish guy coming to a well and coming to talk to me, and he asked me for a drink of water. Right? And, and he says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink and give you living water. And then she says, basically, you don't have a bucket. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she thinks he's talking about water, water. Right? Like, yeah. you know, like, how are you going to draw water from the well? You don't have a bucket. Are you a magician? Right? What are you? Um, and then he says, everyone who drinks of this water here will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks, verse 14, the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she says, well, I want that water. Then, but uh, no, she doesn't. She says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. She's, still, she, she's, she's still thinking about that kind of water. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, but she is starting to, right, she, she's not all the way there yet, mm-hmm. right? She hasn't gone from yeah. like total darkness to total light, but she's she's willing to continue the conversation with Jesus at every she's point. She's willing to continue the conversation, and she asks for that which she doesn't understand, mm-hmm. and Jesus decides to give it to her even though she's asking for the wrong thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right, yeah. Which she, is why he says, go call your husband. This isn't giving, this isn't satisfying her physical thirst, mm-hmm. but this will move the conversation forward such that she'll ultimately discern who Jesus is, mm-hmm. reveal mm-hmm. who Jesus is to the rest of the Samaritans, such that they can receive the living waters. Yeah, that's absolutely so. right. And the gift of the living water gets connected um, with the spirit and worshiping God in spirit and truth. Um and uh, she, as she recognizes him to be the Messiah, she goes and tells others. But we'll be able to follow that same thread through the rest of the Gospel of John in John 7, verses 37 uh, and following, where Jesus says, whoever believes in me will have springs of living water inside him. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, uh, that's not because you get hooked up to a fire hose, right? This is, again, the Holy Spirit, right, that gives life, God's life, right? Mm-hmm. It gives the life of God's Son, Jesus, because it's his spirit with the Father, and it's being shared with us so that we can become daughters and sons of God the Father in him and share his life. And then, of course, as uh, uh, Dr. McGrew has pointed out uh, several times already, right, the water flowing from the side of Christ right, to symbolize baptism, which is where we receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Which takes us to, back to John 3, but we'll run out of time if we do too much water in John. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say again, though, um, when they're arguing about which mountain to worship on, he says the mm. hour is coming and is now here. Mm. Um, this is referring to the kind of Christological event, right? He is here. He has ushered in the eschaton. He mm. has brought the hour. And I think it's pretty clear in John, if you look at John 12 and if you look at John 19, that the hour is actually the crucifixion, mm. right? Mm. Uh, the hour when the Gentiles come to see Jesus and he will be lifted up and draw all men to himself. Mm. And mm. from that mm. hour of his death, um, Mary and uh, the beloved disciple are working together as um, you know icon of the church. Um, and so when he says that the hour is coming, that we will worship in the spirit and truth, you know, foreshadowing the crucifixion, whereas Dr. Prothor just said, from his side, the, right, from the rock that is God comes 
water, mm-hmm. um, water and blood signifying baptism and Eucharist. There's also um, some textual variants where there's a dove that flies out of Jesus' side, which is probably not historically accurate. Um, <laughs> it might seem kind of silly to think about, but it's because this is the Holy Spirit which is being given in the sacraments. Yeah, the, the people who wrote it in are, are, are getting the spiritual reality even if they're not yeah. actually reporting what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right, in those variants. Pretty sure they didn't think that happened. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, oh goodness, yeah, we could we could we could keep talking about John four, but precisely because again, it's 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 one whose own story teaches really well, um, and uh, I love walking through this with people to lead them through her the woman's own discovery of Christ, um, which calls all of us to continually deeper faith calls all of us to know Jesus' love for us even when we don't get it, even when she's like, yeah, I don't want to be thirsty. Like, well, how about go call your husband? We'll, yeah. we'll keep the conversation going. Um, a model of patience for us when we're uh, evangelizing others. But, but uh, again, coming back to the gift of the Holy Spirit and the water, uh, thinking about the beginning of our own walk with God to the promised land uh, in which we uh, in the season of Lent and always, right, are, are living uh, mm-hmm. as we go along with him, sometimes thirsty, sometimes hungry, um, yeah, and, but always filled because of his gift. And just in this kind of spirit of Lent and reflection, I just want to call attention to one more detail, right? So I already kind of, uh, I'm not saying made fun of her, but point out she didn't know what she was talking about in verse 15 because um, she doesn't want to come back. She wants to be not thirsty anymore. Um, but after Jesus claims to be the Messiah and claims to be the Messiah by saying, I am, right? Also in John signifying the divine name from Exodus. Um, In verse 28, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people. And so there's been a decisive shift in recognizing who Christ is, right? As as the Messiah and also as the I am, um, such that now her priorities have changed. Yeah, it changes the kind of water right. she knows that she wants. Mm-hmm. And she just yeah. abandons it behind her. That's right. So, well, may, may, may we all receive and desire that water constantly in our life mm-hmm. in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. All right. Have a blessed week and a blessed Lent. Amen. This has been a Formed in the Word podcast, a production of the Augustan Institute. For more inspiring and informative content like this, please visit formed.org.